Good morning. I had to do this too. Can I? Can we dim that light a little bit? Yeah. Thank you. I, not only is it harder for me to read, but I'm self-conscious about the shininess of my head. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, this is, the lighting is designed for Drew, who has a wonderful head of hair. Well, as you uh, may have guessed from the graphic on the screen or the information in your bulletin, this is the United series, and this is the last week of that series. And so this week we, we've been talking about uh, being united across all the human-made boundaries, uh, whether that's race or nations or language. And this week we're talking about being one family, which is really being uh, united across generations. And so uh, as we think about this, we want to just think about uh, what family is. And family, for most people, is a, it's a place of security and stability, and it's a place for deep and meaningful relationships. And so I wonder, I hope it's better at this service than last service. Has anyone here heard of the site Humans of New York? Yeah. Okay, that's already like six times more than first service. If you haven't, it's, it's a really uh, cool website that it follows kind of ordinary people in New York and just listens to their story and will we'll tell you about them. And, and if, you're, if you get too much negative news, you might want to go check out a place like Humans in New York every once in a while because uh, it's fairly uplifting, sometimes um, uh, encouraging stories. But they do, uh, they're now such a large organization that they do this thing at um, Christmas and I think at Thanksgiving, definitely at Christmas, um, where they pair up people in New York City who are individuals, young people uh, early in their careers who've just moved there for an internship, um, who don't have a place to go for Thanksgiving or Christmas, or they don't have the money to go home, or they have no home to go to, and they connect that person with a family who has an open seat at their table. And so you go dine at Thanksgiving and Christmas with a family who has, and how many families have an extra seat or two or five at their table and can do this. And so they connect these people and they foster these kind of relationships. Now, the challenge with that is that uh, families, they have to open themselves up. They have to be kind of fluid with their boundaries and say, you know, we're willing to have people we don't know gather around our table. But the people who are on the other end of that, the individuals, they have to give up something too. They have to give up their precious autonomy. They have to give up this, I'm going to make it on my own steam. I don't need anyone else, this isolated uh, type of lifestyle. And there's something remarkably biblical about what Humans of New York is doing. It's not a Christian organization, uh, as far as I know anyway, but uh, what they're doing, what they're calling people and challenging people to do is exactly like what we'll be talking about this morning. And so I'd invite you, if you have your own Bible, we're going to start in Genesis 12. We've got three different places to go. So it'll be on the screen, so I'm going to read it to you, uh, but I'm going to give some underlining tips as I go. That's kind of my thing, but don't do that in the Pew Bible, um, especially if you underline like me and it's very difficult to read uh, after you. Uh, and so this passage, this is we're in uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And uh, it should sound vaguely familiar since Drew preached on it last Sunday. Uh, and if it doesn't, don't tell Drew that. Um, but 
Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I think the screens are not quite right. Um, but I've got my... Oh, there we go. Uh, so verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, there's something a little counterintuitive about the passage I selected. I'm talking about the importance of family, the centrality of family, being one family, being united. And the passage I pull up, it says, Go from your country, the people you know, go from your kindred, your extended family, and your father's house. Get out. So this actually sounds like it's pulling him away from family. But what it's actually doing is God is saying, I'm going to build a new family. And I'm going to start, it starts with you leaving your family, Abraham. You leave him behind, you leave your country, everything that's familiar, everything that you would build your identity on, your, your country, your family, your extended family, all of these ties, all of these important relationships, you leave them behind. And he builds something new and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And here's the important part. This is the part every Bible I've ever owned has these two words, underlined, circled, starred, boxed, whatever you do, so that you will be a blessing. Anytime you see that so that, it's giving you the purpose of the first clause. So he's saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you a people and land and all of these blessings, but... I'm not doing this so that you get together and have a holy huddle and just hang out with each other and be blessed together. You're blessed so that you'll be a blessing. And at the end of verse 3, that all the families in the earth will be blessed. So God is blessing the many. His plan for blessing the many is blessing his people. And his people are to be a blessing to everyone everywhere they go. And when you see the, you know, the people of God scattered Later in the Bible, you see the mission is going out to them. So the people of God, or the family of God, are united in their purpose and in their mission. And then, some people, and, and you're not alone if you think this, uh, we're going to turn to Galatians 3. Because in Paul's day, people were, uh, were a little confused. They were saying, well, that's great, that's, that's Abram's purpose, but, you know, I'm not Jewish. I'm not descended from Abraham. And he says, ah, but look here, verse 7, it says, Know then that it is those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Do you, do you see what's happened here? So there was this belief in Paul's day. He's writing to the Galatian church because there were Jewish believers there who thought they and they alone were descended from Abraham because they said, you know, I've read, I've read the Bible. It goes uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the tribes of Israel, and I, I come from the tribe of Benjamin or the tribe of Judah, and I can trace my lineage all the way back to Abraham himself. I share his blood. I share his DNA. That's what makes me part of Abraham's family. And Paul says, hold on. He said, Abraham, and in case you didn't notice it here, I, I can't make it bold. 
while it's doing it. But there's at least three times here it's emphasizing faith. It says, Abraham, uh, in the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, by faith preached the gospel before unto Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then it is those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Is there anything in there indicating that Abraham's status before God is because of his blood or because of his DNA or because of his skin color? It is his faith. His faith is what establishes this common ground. So we now read the Old Testament. We read Genesis and, and, uh, and through there. As it's like looking through a family photo album. This is, this is our inheritance. This is uh, part of what we've been engrafted into by faith. Uh, and so the, the, the logic there is that you know, to be part of Abraham's family is to be somewhat of faith. And by having that faith, you are now receiving Abraham's blessing. And what is the purpose of that blessing? It's to be a blessing. So we're now united by faith, united in this mission. And, and uh, as we go down the page here, Galatians 3... 26 through 29, we see what it is, the thread that ties all this together. It says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. And heirs according to his promise. If you have faith, you are heirs of Abraham. And, and, and so Paul is, I think, it's almost going out of his way to use this familial language. He's saying, you know, who receives an heir? Who receives an inheritance? That's family only. And he's saying, you're receiving this heir because you're part of Abraham's family. In fact, we can see this again in the life of, and ministry of Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, verses uh, 20 and 21, and 31 to 35, we'll get it on the screens. Uh, you have to jump a little bit to continue the story. Uh, but in chapter, verse 20, it says, Then he, Jesus, went home, and the crowds gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Now that loving, nurturing structure of support that I was talking about from family, this is what Jesus gets from his family. Let's seize him for their saying he's out of his mind. And Jesus, this word reaches Jesus. Verse 31, and his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him and a crowd gathered and a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and brothers? And looking about, at, looking about at those around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And actually, in Matthew, this, this story is also told in Matthew, and, and there he says, uh, Anyone who does the will of my father is my brother and my sister and my mother. So if we're of faith, we have the same father that that builds that relationship. And, and Jesus sees that, he understands that, and it becomes the immovable piece that holds it all together. Now we should say something about the nature of family, whether we're talking about our biological families that we grew up in or whether we're talking about the church family. There are three different ways 
to view family, of one, one of which I will advocate for. The first view is that family can become an idol. It can become an all-consuming force where your whole source and sense of self and identity is wrapped up in your family. Um, this, this manifests itself in a couple different ways. It's quite common when you see parents living vicariously through their children. If you see a parent who says, who, uh, whether they say it or they function like it, they say, my whole sense of self-value is in the achievements, the success or failure of my children. If my children succeed, I'm proud. If they fail, I'm crushed. Because everything about who I am is dependent on my family. But it works the other way around, too. Sometimes children become proud, prideful about their family of origin. They say, you know, my father does this, my grandfather did this, and there's this sense of pride and this sense of identity that's wrapped up in that in an unhealthy way. And those can be good things, but it can go too far. If that's where you find all your sense of meaning, then it's gone too far. So the second way to approach family is the overreaction or the opposite of the first way. That's to disregard the family unit. It's to say family is a waste of time. It slows you down. You have to sacrifice your individuality for this corporate identity of a family. And, you know, it's an antiquated tribal uh, uh, tactic, and we just don't need family anymore. But the third approach, which you might guess is what I'm advocating, is, is to view family in light of the gospel. And this means that you can enjoy the benefits and the security of family, once again, family either in the biological sense or in the church sense. You enjoy the benefits and uh, and security of family, and you view it as a blessing and a gift of God. But you don't keep that blessing all to yourself. You use the family unit as a means to bless the world. Family, when done properly, is a means of blessing, which means any blessing you're given needs to be turned around and used as a blessing for others. And so as Christians, uh, we can be grateful if we grow up in in loving and caring homes, uh, but some of us who don't have a second chance at family with the church. And in fact, according to Jesus and Paul, it's a more meaningful sense of family. The deeper meaning of family is found in those who share their faith. And so I was was thinking of a way to illustrate what I'm trying to drive home here. And I I found this story, and, and I was... I was like, yeah, it's a good story, but I don't really like it. So I was talking to my wife about it yesterday, and she said, uh, oh, well, there's this great passage in the book, Jane Eyre. How many people have read Jane Eyre? Wait, I have to put put my hand down. I have not. But it was summarized beautifully by my wife. And then she gave me this passage that I could read. Uh, So I feel like even if you haven't read it, we're all on the same footing here. So uh, in the book, Jane, the main character, goes through a hard season of life where she's, she's homeless, she's hungry, and she's desperate. And she's taken in and welcomed by three strangers. And she finds out later that through, through an inheritance that these strangers are actually family that she didn't know that she had. And as she reflects on this, she expresses her joy at the discovery. And if you'll allow me, I'll, I'll read it to you. She says, It seemed I had found a brother... One I could be proud of, one I could love, and two sisters whose qualities were such that when I knew them but as mere strangers, they had inspired me with genuine affection and admiration. The young and stately gentleman who found me almost dying at his threshold was my blood relation. Glorious discovery to a lonely wretch. This was wealth indeed, wealth to the heart, 
a mine of pure, genial affections. This was a blessing bright, vivid, and exhilarating, not like the ponderous gift of gold, rich and welcome enough in its own way, but sobering from its weight. I now clapped my hands in sudden joy. My pulse pounded, my veins thrilled. It may be of no moment to you. You have sisters, and you don't care for a cousin. But I had nobody. And now three relations are born into my world full grown. I say again, I am glad. And so, you see, Jane's life was saved and forever changed by strangers. And when she found out that these strangers are not strangers, but they're actually family, she celebrated over having these new brothers and sisters. And as Christians, we often sit side by side one another in the church pews week after week, and we fail to realize the depth of relationship that exists there. It's purchased for us by Jesus Christ. Those who are in the pews next to you are your brothers and sisters in Christ. The joy that Jane Eyre expresses in finding three relations born into her world full-grown, each of us, just at this church alone, can experience that 100-fold. There are 300 brothers and sisters in Christ here every Sunday morning, and there's even more in the city and in the state and in the country and in the world. What, what Jane was, what she discovered was three small relationships that changed her life. She realized she had family that she didn't know that she had, and most of us sit in the pews next to the family that we don't know that we have. Now, the world we live in is desperate for wholesome and nurturing community. And while so many hunger for family closeness, we miss these opportunities that are right in front of us. And we do this because we neglect the deep relationship, the deep connection that was purchased for us on the cross by Jesus. And so here's the bottom line. When we look at what God has done, sending his perfect son to take the punishment for imperfect people, when we look at all that God has done to bring us into his family, what then should we do to bring other people into our family? Perhaps a better way to say it is then, what then can't we do to bring people into our family? If that's what God the Father perfect father sends the perfect son to die for imperfect people. He does that to bring us into his family. What's too far for us? What what could we ever do that is even close to that? And God, by the way, is the active initiator of these relationships. He reached out to us while we were still sinners, which means we act like our father. You can call it a family trait. We reach out to others. We imitate his behavior. And so the challenge then is is twofold. It's one, you need to be inviting new people into your life in meaningful ways. And the other side, the flip side, is when other people invite you into their lives, you need to receive that invitation. That's an important part of community, and you can't have one without the other. Now there's a sociologist who a few years ago, I've been saying it's a few years ago for a few years, so I don't know how many years ago it is. But he was commenting on the shift in American culture over the last 50 to 70 years. And he described it as this. He said, we've moved from the front porch to the backyard. People used to gather on their front porch. They would sit there and they would know their neighbors and they would interact with them as they walked by. They could see each other. They knew each other's names. They were welcome onto each other's property. He said, now we've moved more to the backyard. It's fenced in. It's closed off. It's just us. And that's how we like it. 
And I, I have to say, as, in my experience, that's true. And the problem with that, as a Christian, is that is not using your blessing to be a blessing. If you are lucky enough to have a home or an apartment, that is a blessing from God, and you are to use that to be a blessing. You open the door, you bring people in. You don't say, you sit there with your arms crossed and say, well, if people want to come in, I'll let them in. Is that what God did for you? God reached out, he brought you in. You should bring, open your home. And that's just, you know, this is one small way. And so whether it's someone sitting next to you in the pew that's a brother or sister in Christ who you don't know, bring them into your home. And if it's a neighbor across the street who doesn't know Jesus, you bring them into your home as well. And so I ask again, if God is willing to purchase us at that price, bring us into his family, that's the cost of adoption in the family of God is the son the perfect son, Jesus Christ, what should we do to include others in our family? Would you please join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you this morning uh, for your word. We thank you, first of all, for the inclusion purchased for us by your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that gift, and we pray that we would use that gift um, to, to motivate us, to push us out of our comfort zone, to push us to include others that Uh, That would be the template for our behavior, that we would pattern our lives after that, that you would just continue to shape and mold our hearts into the people that you would have us be, people who act like your son, people who extend that family invitation to everyone in our lives. We ask for the grace and the power to do this, and we thank you for the goodness of your word. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.